All right, donks. Let's do this. Sorry about the delay. Y'all know what time it is. Y'all know what you're in for. All right. There we are. Hi, everybody. My name is Luke Thomas. This is the Luke Thomas live chat, episode 23. I think it's a little on the loud side, maybe. Check, check, one, two. Yeah, a little bit on the loud side. There we go. One, two, three, one, two, three. Sorry, wrong one. One, two, three. There we go. One, two, three. Right around there should be okay. Even that's a little on the loud side. Hi, everybody. As I mentioned, I am the, the host of the Luke Thomas Show on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. By the way, for those who were wondering, the show resumes today. We had to take a bit of an off day yesterday because of old coronavirus. Uh, but today we're back with 3 p.m. Sally Jenkins will be on the show. Uh, Mark Montoya will be on the show I don't know how the hell we're going to do 15 hours of radio every week with literally no sports, but we'll figure that out here in just a second. I'm also the host of um, Morning Combat, the Showtime digital program. Information for both of them, including a free subscription to the SiriusXM Best Of podcast, is in the description box below. Um, normally, I say if you want to donate, uh, you you can, and I'll get to the questions at the end. Nothing about that changes. Obviously, like the video and subscribe. The only thing that's going to be a little bit different is, I don't know if you guys know this, any video virtually about the coronavirus, YouTube is demonetizing. My last week's live chat didn't make a penny, and uh, this one probably won't either. So if you're so inclined uh, to donate so I can keep these operations running as is, it would be very great because I don't think I'm going to make any money off this. Now, that being said, that's not the end of the world. So let's get things started, shall we? All right, and as indicated, get that, oh, come on, Jesus fucking Christ, hold on, hold on, well, you know, what are you going to do, you more or less need what you see up there, subscribe to the channel, like the video a whole lot more, thank you guys so much for watching, I really appreciate it, I know it's been some trying times, I suppose it's good news in a sense for people like me that, you know, I've developed such a home studio, uh, although this microphone, hang on. This microphone has shit the bed, so I actually bought a new one. It'll be here tomorrow. Tomorrow, yes. And then I got a new mixer, and I actually got a couple of backups. So the good news is um, this will be the last one I have to do with this microphone as a first-order priority. But in any event, I've more or less developed enough of a home studio where I can do just about anything. Um, so I guess that's good in the sense that if there is no sports, we can still talk to each other and figure things out, but it's going to be a weird one. It's going to be a weird one the next week, couple of weeks, months. Who knows how long this is all going to last. I suspect a lot longer than folks realize. I saw that yesterday one championship was was going to do indoor shows for the time being. Did you guys see how long they're going to do? When I say indoor shows, excuse me, with no audience. Do you guys see how long they plan to do that? Now understand, if you have not been paying attention, Singapore is ahead of the curve uh, relative to most other nations in terms of their containment and control of coronavirus, COVID-19 outbreak. So they're, they're one of the better ones by a mile, by every observable metric, okay? They, they certainly are still dealing with it, but they have very, very good handle on it, okay? Uh, and they're planning on doing audience-free shows until May 29th. <laughs> it's going to be a while, folks. I, I mean, I cannot, the, with, the, with, the, with the rampant spread of it currently taking place in this country, 
and uh, the absolutely absentee landlord response from our federal government as a consequence. I mean, it's going to get way, way, way worse before it gets any better. Um, so I don't know how long this is going to last, which means I think folks have asked, oh, how long is MMA going to be away? Well, stateside and in Europe, I don't know what the answer is going to be. Canada seems to have a better approach, so we'll see. Some of the Asian countries are not merely doing a better job of handling it, but just much earlier into their crises. So, like, maybe shows in Korea or Japan or Singapore or places like that who've got a better control of it, or um, Taiwan even. Perhaps uh, Taiwan apparently has had an amazing response to the coronavirus outbreak. So what we might see is that those kinds of countries are able to produce some kind of MMA before we are, which I think would give us some viewing opportunities, and we'll just have to blow it up bigger than they actually are because I think folks will be pretty starved for content at that point. But it is a crazy time. I don't think I've ever seen anything like this. I, I don't want to put this – I don't want to use hyperbole to describe the situation – in terms of all of its various complexities and feeling, because what I'm about to say is not a is not a is not a direct one to one comparison. Rather, instead, you think about your life and certain moments that happened during it, and when you realize things are just not going to be the same as they were afterwards, when this is all over, um, you know, the 2008 financial crisis felt a little bit like that, right? Um, 9-11 felt a lot like that. Now, I felt a lot more danger and dread. I was in the military at the time, and so there, that was a lot nearer and dearer to me. I think I was 21 at the time of 9-11. I think that's right. 21, yeah, 21 during 9-11. I was a college senior, so that would be right, yeah. Um, and so that was obviously something that had a profound effect on, on all of us in different ways, you can well imagine. And and this one, I'm not here to say this is the new 9-11. It doesn't mean exactly what I mean it to me. In that sense, but rather, you know, if you guys have been paying attention to what epidemiologists are saying, they're suggesting, turn this down just a little bit, they're suggesting that, um, look, people are saying, could the COVID-19 virus go away as the weather heats up? It's certainly a possibility, but just as seasonally, it could come right back in the fall. You know, we're right back here unless there's some kind of vaccine that is more readily deployed, unless there's better containment efforts, unless there's some kind of herd immunity that is developed, we could be right back here once more. And I know that there are some hard feelings towards China, which I'm not suggesting that there shouldn't be, but there should be a totality of that picture. On the one hand, these open markets that they have where humans and various exotic creatures come into contact with one another in, let's call it, frankly, unusual ways, it just seems deeply irresponsible to keep those things up. I don't care how culturally important that they are, right? I mean, there's a reason why so many viruses keep coming from um, China, and epidemiologists almost universally point to some of these practices as the reason why they keep happening. So I'm just going to call that what it is, which is irresponsible in terms of a globalized community. On the other hand, um, they have done a vastly better job at containing what the problem was once it broke out, and they're still dealing with it. In fact, I got an email I want to read to you guys. This is from somebody, I won't say who, but it's a Westerner who lives in uh, China. Here's what he wrote to me today. Take this for what it's worth. Um, I'm based in Shanghai and can give you some background on how MMA gyms have been dealing with this. 
At the end of January, everything in China closed for the week-long Chinese New Year holiday. Think between Christmas and New Year, because hardly anything is open. All gyms, MMA and regular, were closed for that. As people started tentatively coming back to work, gyms have all remained closed. Even now, as we're in the latter stages of the outbreak, gyms are still closed. Remember, Shanghai is not in the Wuhan province. I don't believe that's right. Uh, MMA gyms have really suffered. In Shanghai, the government is forbidding gyms from opening, and it has been causing problems. We actually have some very good MMA gyms here, including Lachlan Giles' uh, Absolute MMA. And the instructors are all very well known and accredited. But as gyms have been closed for six weeks and will likely remain closed for at least another month, we are starting to lose our best trainers. They can't afford to stay here without being paid, especially when they could afford Excuse me, especially when they can work at other top gyms around the world. I have seen some MMA gyms around China uh, open. Some are doing non-contact training, one-on-one sessions, and some are even doing standard training just as long as they're wearing a face mask. The stupidity of that aside, the reality is that MMA gyms in China likely won't return to normal until at least June. Relating this back to MMA gyms around the world, I would imagine that many are severely restricting class attendance, and some might even just close down for a month or two. Uh, I saw Keenan Cornelius just open his gym, Legion. They shut it down for a week. Uh, I've seen a bunch of gyms cancel classes but keep open mats. I don't know what good that's supposed to do, but yeah, we are living in an unprecedented time, man. We are living in an unprecedented time. I'm going to get to these questions, but I want to make a point here, and then we'll move it along. Um, I have We've had a discussion on this program and many others about the intersectionality such as it exists, not to borrow the 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 political term from feminism, but um, the intersection, let's just say, between sports and politics. And as you guys know, I do agree that sometimes you see it shoehorned in in ways where it just simply does not belong. In most obvious cases, if you're talking about the X's and O's of a football game, why would you bring it up? It seems totally irrelevant. And even then, when talking about the life of somebody and their career to date, um, it's not to say that there couldn't be a place for that, but in many cases, there just simply is not. And I recognize that sometimes individual members of the media or even institutions will try to shoehorn it in in ways that does not seem abundantly relevant. Fair point. On the other hand, the idea that there is never a point where they intersect just seems matter-of-factly quite false. And I've made that point before, but I hope everyone understands, while the, certainly the COVID-19 outbreak, the global pandemic is a perhaps once-in-a-century event, although we will see about that. Certainly an unusual event. First time I've ever seen anything like this in my lifetime, and I'm 40 years old. Uh, Each government's response and their ability to respond to that is a function of many things. It is a function of the individual leadership in question. It is a function of the strength of the institutions forced to tackle it. It is a function of the policy that guides those institutions. It is a function of to what extent they have a competent civil service capable of um, leaning on years of expertise spent in these roles to deal with various problems, right? In other words, it is a clear and an unequivocal case of political consideration depending on how these are handled. Well, ladies and gentlemen, in this particular country, Los Estados Unidos, we are dealing with, and I don't know how anybody can say anything relevant. You can say what you want about media conspiracies, folks, that is going to blow up in your face big time. I do not recommend on being that side of the fence in this in this in this debate, which isn't to say you won't find individual instances of media hyperbole, you will always find individual instances of media hyperbole. If you want to make a critique of the media in this country is that they in fact failed to adequately grasp the threat, not that they are overstating it. And it's not the issue. 
And what you see now is we have a federal oversight, such as you can call it that, in this country, that is so bad, I mean so bad, um, that every every re- epidemiologist of any kind of renown is suggesting um, before this is all over, you could have potentially a million deaths in America due to this. Now, I am not worried about my particular health. If I catch it, I catch it. I think I'll be just fine. If my wife catches it, just the same. I'm a little bit worried about my daughter. She's only 10 months old, but given what the statistics say, she's probably going to be fine. But remember a couple of things. Even in cases where you end up surviving, it could require respiratory help or hospitalization or even intensive care. You just end up living in the end. As a consequence, you could overburden individual health uh, facilities, which by the way, I, I had a friend who uh, used to work in healthcare best practices, and they always told me, never think of a health care uh, or a hospital in terms of um, whether or not it can, it has an oncology unit, it does brain surgery, it does heart surgery. Don't think of it in its vast multifunction capacity. Rather, think of it as how many beds they have every time. Is it a 50-bed facility? Is it a 400-bed facility? How many beds do they have? Because really that will tell you much more about its capacity for care. Can you imagine being a pregnant woman who is scheduled to give birth next week and then this is happening where potentially your individual and local, and you, you, you've already known what health, uh, what, what hospital you're going to go to. Can you imagine if it's in two weeks or a month, if you go and it's completely overburdened with people who are going to live, they're going to be fine, but they're exhausting existing healthcare resources. And so now you could potentially catch this condition even in, in the last week of uh, gestation that you could not get the care necessary as a consequence of um, the staff being overburdened. Are they going to have enough staff? Did you get your, you know, if you're a pregnant woman and you get an epidural, this has to be timed at a certain moment. Like there's lots of ways you could get complicating factors through all of this, even if, yes, you or I are just going to be fine. It's not the issue. And of course, my father is 79 years old. My mother-in-law is uh, 67. They are clearly in the vulnerable population where, um, Uh, And remember, some of the numbers for death in these conditions is a function of how the country is handling it, right? So you're seeing wide variance in the death rate even among vulnerable populations because certain countries have better responses to it and certain ones don't. Um, And so even then, conservative estimates of 20%, certainly in that category, um, are dying or having to be, you know, uh, exhaust all health care resources in their local area. Right, and can you imagine all the other people who, you know, they get into a car accident that week or whatever? And there's going to be ripple effects a million times over. Like you have to understand, you live in a society, and what that means for your obligations, both to yourself and to everyone around you, and to the systems that make it all run. They don't just run by inertia; they run not by accident. They don't run by magic. They run because they work on a series of operations, and a series of things need to happen to make them run. And something like this, while not necessarily endangering to the entire population at large, it is endangering to the healthcare industry, and that means the people most vulnerable either by demographic or by medical condition they're in, right? And the federal government response in this particular country is going to get people killed. That's a fucking fact, man. That's not even up for debate. And we are, we are not even at the tip of the iceberg on this. That's not what I'm saying. That's what epidemiologists are all saying, almost to the exact same tune. So, um, you know, when, when Dana White is like, I talked to the president and the vice president. I mean, you mean the two least credible motherfuckers in all of this discussion? Really? That's who you talk to to get your cues from? I couldn't give a shit less that he had that conversation. That means nothing to me. And when you look at what the policies are and changes that the UFC has instituted, 
testing for fevers, which, by the way, is a half measure because you can be contagious before you even have a fever, which isn't to say that the fever screening won't help, but by itself is not that great. Plus, once you get screened for a fever, there needs to be a triage, uh, essentially operation in place to weed you out, then test you, and then isolate you if that needs to be done in the event that you have COVID-19. Simply screening people out just sends them back into general pop in all likelihood, uh, or doesn't give you to the, take you to the proper point of care, which doesn't really do anything to mitigate the problem. Every point of that has to be in order, number one. A- and then number two, uh, changing to Apex. We've gone over this, dude. In 16 days, when M- and, uh, which I realize UFC London is going to be in 10, but or 15 days, I should say, when UFC um, Columbus is going to be moved to Apex, do you, you think we're still going to be living in a society where we have this level of outbreak and this level of concern. Everything the UFC has done virtually, except for fever screening, and they said they're going to work with the commission in Nevada to get everyone tested. I would love to know how they're getting all the tests, and no no one else is. I guess if you're rich and you have a lot of money, you can just pay for them. I don't know. but um, And that's not a bad thing that they're testing fighters. It's just I don't understand why there isn't enough testing to go around more generally, except the rich seem to have it. But and a different story for a different time. Um, yeah, those are fine measures. They're not nothing. But in general, those are only really a function of reacting to what government entities have forced on them. Look around and ask yourself what changes UFC has made uh, independent of what regulatory authorities have forced on them. They have taken a vastly conservative approach. And to sit there and echo a worldview from two world leaders who by any definition and by any epidemiological measurement have done a woeful job. The The U.S. has done a worse job screening and controlling this than any other industrialized nation. Uh, worse than Italy, certainly. Worse than Iran, certainly. South Korea is doing a fantastic job, uh, all things considered. Um, and then to take cues from them, like go out and live your life, yes, of course you should not panic. And of course, to an extent possible, living your life. Staging a fist fight this weekend where the fighters, according to the Brazilian Athletic Commission, are not going to be screened for COVID-19. And God knows how easily they're going to catch this at home or any other place driving around through society and then go in there and compete and potentially spread to one another or somebody sitting cage side or some other healthcare professional or some other, you know, member of personnel, totally irresponsible. It's just irresponsible, which isn't to say I'm guaranteeing it's going to happen. Uh, Maybe it doesn't. In fact, that'd be great. But it it seems really irresponsible to do that. Um, And I know what fans say, oh, I want the fights to go on. Yeah, we all, dude, who the fuck doesn't want to see the fights continue? You think we want to live in a world without sports in general? Who wants that? I don't want that. You don't. Nobody, nobody wants that. The question is not what you want. The question is what is right. <laughs> it's not a matter of what I want. It's not a matter of what you want. It's a matter of what experts in this particular field are suggesting is the appropriate course of action and whether or not you have the ethical, social, and legal responsibility to adhere to it. And any other question about what I want, what you want, what UFC wants, what the fighters want, sorry, it's kind of irrelevant. That's another one I've heard. Oh, the fighters really want it. The fighters want it because they don't make a lot of money and they need it to get paid. I hear a lot of talk about the UFC's generosity during Christmas time, right? Didn't Daniel Cormier and Michael Bisping tweet out that those, those are nice stories that the UFC apparently took care of them in these moments of need early in their career uh, to make sure that they had a wonderful time during Christmas. I really appreciate that. But that's not real generosity. Real generosity is what we're going to see next when the UFC simply, by it looks like it's going to have to be government decree of some kind, uh, either through forced quarantines or whatever the case may be, is going to be not allowed to put on shows basically if it comes to that which i suspect it will in certain places and then do you just give fighters money because that's going to be 
that'll be the real test of generosity. That all that other stuff is nice. I wouldn't classify that as true generosity. Generosity is going to be what Cleveland Cavaliers are doing and at the Quicken Loans Arena, and they're just going to pay um, concession staff and other uh, people who work there who won't be able to make money ordinarily because there's going to be no games. That's that's generosity, right? That's that's doing the right thing. Uh, we're going to see. I'm not saying they will. I'm not saying they won't. I don't know what they're going to do. We're going to see. But uh, there's a lot of claims people make about who they are and what they are in times where it's kind of easy to do. Let's see what they do when it's times are hard because this is going to be a hard time for a lot of folks. Anyway, I've been rambling for 20 minutes at this point. All right. I'll get to your questions. I apologize. All right. Hope all is well on your end. Yes, I'm fine. With the current situation with the coronavirus going on, what do you think is going to happen for the future of the UFC? They are still going with UFC Brazil this weekend, but do you believe there will be pay-per-view events like UFC 249? It is impossible to make a declaration to you about what will and will not happen. I do not know. Um, what I can say, I think with a fair degree of confidence, is the idea... And didn't Barclays Center close down all events effective immediately? I think that's what I heard. Effective immediately, they've closed down all events. So I don't know how long that's going to last. I suspect by April, everyone's going to be reevaluating, and that fight's not until April 18th. Um, so we'll see. But he- here's what I would say to you. I do not, this is my personal opinion. It's not really a projection. It's just kind of how I feel internally. Whether or not I could justify it to you from an evidentiary standpoint, I don't know. Pro- probably not because I'm just really kind of guessing. But if what epidemiologists and healthcare providers are saying is true, we won't really be out of the weeds in this until mid-May uh, or perhaps later, which is to say there will be various geographic locations. Um, there's rumors in the city here or D.C. of a quarantine. I've heard rumors of a quarantine in New York City. seems to me inevitable at some point that's going to happen, if not here, certainly other places, Seattle, who knows. Um, and I just think it's going to cause an interruption, I think, to life. I think the other thing is, without saying this about Tony Ferguson specifically or about Habib specifically, you would, I read the email from the guy from China more recently. Dude, here's what's going to happen sooner or later. There's going to be an outbreak of coronavirus if someone doesn't do something in one of these gyms. It's going to happen, right? Because these fighters are going to want to train because they want to get paid. And UFC is going to say, hey, we'll keep this up, right? So you have to ask yourself, is keeping up a schedule even ethical if it means at the, at the gym level they have to stay open and keep up classes or keep up training, potentially in situations where they shouldn't, just to meet, not really demand for the UFC, but their own financial pocketbook. Like if the UFC said, take it off, we'll pay for everyone who's got to fight this month, don't worry about it, and we'll come back and reassess at the end of every month, to what extent would that impact and lower the amount of uh, people training with one another in these facilities? I suspect it would lower it a lot. Probably not eliminate it, but it would lower it a lot. Because here's what's going to happen. Eventually, at one of these gyms, and perhaps a lot of them, there's going to be an outbreak. Recall, a lot of these gyms don't just have fighters training at these individual places, who, by the way, the fighters are going to be a vulnerable population, not in terms of the worst-case scenario about what could happen to them. I think they'll be fine. But again, um, they're going to just sort of try to train probably through it. Remember, you don't really have a runny nose with COVID-19. You have fever, but a lot of those guys will compete when they're not feeling great or the chills. Um, that kind of a thing. You'll see that, you know, guys will compete through the most amazing injuries, which is a credit to them in certain cases, but it makes them perhaps not the best risk managers 
when it comes to a situation like this. Also, a lot of these gyms, Extreme Couture, AATT, a lot of them, AKA, they have a whole apparatus where they just let people in off the street. How much are they going to uh, either know they have the condition or screen themselves out when they when they actually do know they have the condition? Are they able to get testing to figure that out? I mean, these problems begin to compound on themselves. And then individual fighters are going to get sick. It is going to happen, right? What if during fight week you find that the fighters are all kind of quarantined in one hotel and then one of them gets sick and they've had contact with a bunch of other people, including UFC personnel? What's going to happen when UFC personnel get sick? Because by the way, if you're talking about the numbers that they're talking about, which is 100 million Americans, that's nearly one in three. One in four if you want to be conservative. So find every four people, one's going to get it just statistically speaking. And yeah, it'll probably cluster to a degree, so that's a little bit of an unfair way to measure it, but it will give you a scale of the problem. So now where are we? You're in a situation where you might have quarantines. I think that's probably going to happen. Again, I don't know about Tony specifically or Khabib specifically or any individual fighter specifically, but there's going to be an outbreak in gyms. Fighters are going to get sick, right? In all likelihood, this is these are the projections. Um, remember in Italy, the only stores that are open right now are pharmacies and food stores. Gyms are not open. In China, gyms are not open. These are not these are not um, these are places where the governments Italy waited a little bit too long, but they at least have a, uh, a, a you know they're taking the, the right measures at this point given the outbreak. Do we really think that and again, understand something here you can you can put your head in the sand about this all you want. The government's response here at the federal level, probably state and local too, has been woeful, woefully inadequate. If you don't believe me, you can go and I, I linked it up yesterday on my Twitter timeline at L Thomas News. You can track how many tests are being given out. You know how many tests have been given out in New York? You know what? Let's do it right now. Let's go to COVID tracking. You can look at it. COVID, go to covidtracking.com. Take me to the data. How many tests have been done in New York total up to this point? Would you like to know? We're going to go for it. This is total of New York State. I had a friend come back from France. They didn't ask her anything. Nothing. She just walked right through. I mean, yeah, you know, stamp the passport and all that. That's it. Current states. New York. How many tests has New York handed out total uh, today? Hold on. Let's go through this. Today, New York has done about... Two, uh, 2300 tests total that's since that's that's counting all tests 2300 how about washington dc total tests 30 <laughs> 30 you understand how international this city is it's where all the embassies are you can hear a million different languages walking down the street 30 30 tests pick another place california california is the fifth largest economy in the world you know how many tests they've done 1,100. South Korea is a tiny country, comparatively speaking, geographically and by population, and they're doing about ten or 11,000 a day. A day. We're talking total, not today, for these numbers I read, 1,100, 30, and then 2,300 for New York State. We're talking total sense at any point. Dude, we're so fucked. We're so unbelievably fucked. People don't know where it's coming from. They don't know how it's spreading. They don't know who's going to get it, and they don't know when. And it's just going to keep continuing like this. It's going to get so much fucking worse 
before it gets better. So this is my point. I don't know exactly what the situation is in the UK, except to say Premier League was like, yeah, games are going to go on as as scheduled. And I saw a Chelsea player had it. I saw Mikel Arteta had it. They had the uh, manager for Arsenal. He's a Spaniard, but um, uh, but you know he had it. You know, and it's like, are you guys out of your fucking mind? Like, <laughs> what is it you think is going to happen? And you bring all these people there. And again, fans can get each other sick. Fans can get concession workers sick. Concession workers can get fans sick. Fans can get media sick. Media can get fans sick. Players can get media sick. Media can get fans sick. Media can get players sick. I mean, every different possible combination is relevant here. So they're planning to go on as, as uh, UFC says, as normal. My hunch is that they're going to keep trying this until the governments and various issues just force them to stop, essentially. Um, I don't know when that will be. I guess it will depend on individual outbreaks in individual places. But uh, that seems inevitable at this point. So do I think that Tony versus Khabib is going to happen at UFC 249? My personal opinion, no. I don't think there's any way that's possible. Uh, Do I still think it'll happen in my mind? Yes. But April 18th, I, I think by April 18th we'll be glad... If the hospitals aren't completely overwhelmed here, like Tony Khabib will be the least of your concerns here by that point. Hi, Luke. I don't have to choose Thomas. That's right. What are the chances Khabib Ferguson is so cursed that a global pandemic was created to prevent it from happening? Yeah, it's pretty cursed. I don't know what to say at this point. Five times trying to make it, it's going to look like they're going to go for lucky number six. We can assume all UFC cards will be canceled for months as soon as a fighter. Ref, analyst, commission member, test positive for COVID-19, just like the NBA. What will you and other analysts focus on during this pandemic? Well, you know, um, I think there'll be a lot of discussion about things that we missed over the last couple of years. I've been really looking to dig into the details, for example, of um, Ioana versus Zhang Wiley. I'm working on a watching tape episode for you guys on that one because that fight was amazing. I think it'll be Brian Campbell and I have talked about this. For folks who didn't get the memo, Morning Combat will no longer be shot. Well, not no longer, but um, for the time being, Morning Combat won't be shot in the studio anymore. We're not going to travel um, to uh, where we do in the studios. And they're, they're shot in Jersey City, uh, right outside New York City. Uh, we're not going to travel to those anymore. Um, we're going to shoot those uh, uh, independently. So they'll be very, very different for the time being. But... Um, you know, me traveling from Washington, D.C., through Maryland, through Delaware, through uh, uh, Pennsylvania, through Jersey, through New York State, and then back all in the same day, probably not a great idea, right? Probably not a great idea. And then other people have to travel. You know, Brian Campbell has to travel from Connecticut all the way to Jersey. You know, it's it takes a little bit of effort there. It's just not smart. It's not smart to do that. So, um, for the time being, we're not going to. We're going to see how long that lasts. I don't know, but that's how it's going to be for now. Um, yeah, but you're right. What happens when when a fighter, a ref, or analyst, or commission gets it, or our gym has an outbreak? You know, these guys will show up with ringworm. You think they won't show up for something where they have, at least in the early stages, mild symptoms, and then spread it everywhere? Like I just don't, th- I just don't think the MMA world has really considered what's going to happen once this this thing really digs its heels into the population and what it's going to cost. It's going to be a major disruptor of American life. There's really no other way to say it. But, um, again, it's not a question of is everyone going to live. Yeah, you know, especially in this population, virtually everyone will be fine when it's all said and done. Uh, but that's not the issue. It's never been the issue. The issue is not are you going to get SARS and die. It's not the issue. The issue is even if you're fine, do you spread it? If that you spread it to whom? 
if they spread it to a vulnerable population, does that end up being lethal for them? Even if you don't get, uh, even if you don't die, even if you're on the strong population, do you have to require hospitalization or a ventilator or a bed? And to what extent does that exhaust local health care resources it's for other populations who might be having pregnancy or surgery? My wife is supposed to get uh, dental surgery on Monday. Don't know what we're supposed to do about that now. And, of course, a dentist office in, in, is not going to be part of a hospital, but you just think about all the people who have surgery scheduled and everything else. It's going to be an issue. It's going to be an issue. And what if there's a MRSA outbreak in a hospital wing? It's just going to be a fucking nightmare. Should they just cancel live gates and keep streaming UFC events like they're doing in Brazil this weekend? Is that even a slightly viable path for Khabib and Tony? Again, I, I don't know what it's going to look like by April 18th. Uh, I, t I tend to think that every day this thing is getting worse and worse. But um, to me, this is the thing. People keep looking at the apex like it's a solution. I look at the apex like it's the Alamo. And for all the historical comparisons that go into that, right? You, you think the Alamo is like a place you can retreat to and then and then win the battle. I, don't, I think it's just a place you retreat to and then you realize the game is overmatched. Remember... You're going to bring everyone to Vegas, which is going to require interstate and international travel. They're going to have to interact with the public on some level because they're going to have to be in hotels. And if one of them catches it in that population, if there's not effective and continuous screening, then uh, they might spread it around. They're going to be depleting their immune systems. They're going to be sharing bodily fluid even before the fight happens. Um, if there's not truly effective screens all the way through that process and then a little bit of luck on top and then assuming there's not an outbreak in gyms, assuming there's not an outbreak in Vegas where the commission members get affected, who, by the way, are part of that vulnerable population and so on and so on, it just seems really unlikely that any of these things could take place over time, which isn't to say that none of them will. The UFC seems absolutely intent, um, you know, going forward with it, but uh, it does not appear like that is a... A, uh, it doesn't. It, I don't think that's nearly as likely as folks tend to think it is. Luke, I believe that Tony Ferguson is an underrated pay-per-view star, considering that he is, and combining that with the popularity of Khabib. Do you think Khabib versus Tony fight will break one million pay-per-view marks in the U.S.? I don't know if it's true Tony, Tony Ferguson's an underrated pay-per-view star. He could be. I'd be curious to hear what you think the evidence is for that, which isn't to say that there is none, just curious to hear. Um, but I'll say this, if they end up delaying it until after this is over and then they bring it back, I think the market will be so hot and people will be so ready for it. There'll be no way it doesn't do a million. And I do think that Khabib is a clear major pay-per-view star globally anyway. Uh, Professor Salt and Pepper, quick fantasy picks prediction. All right. Tiago Santos versus Paulo Costa. Ooh. I'll say Costa. Gaethje versus Lawler. Well, this version of Lawler, I'd say Gaethje. Peter Yan versus John Lineker. Yan. O'Malley versus Sandhagen. Boy, that is just an amazing fight, isn't it? Um, I'd say Sandhagen, but uh, that's a tough one to call. I don't know. Because O'Malley looked awesome at UFC 248. Derek Lewis versus Jairzinho Rosenstruck. Maybe Rosenstruck? That's a hard one to call. Tony Ferguson or Diego Sanchez? Who takes the WMF belt? Weirdest MFer. I'll say Tony. Everyone was talking about Wiley Zhang's power leading into this fight. Was her power overstated or is Joanna 
Johan, excuse me, just a complete and utter savage that can take an enormous damage and keep pushing forward. If it's the latter, how do you think these wars are impacting the longevity of her career? I tend to think it's the latter. Probably there's a little bit to say that, you know, the, 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 you know, there's always a bit of hyperbole leading into fights usually. So there's probably like a little bit of that being overstated. Let me make sure things are looking good, by the way. Yeah, they are. Okay. Um, there's probably a little bit of that being overstated, but there we are. Um, sorry, let me lost my place. But I tend to think that was a big difference for her. I thought that Joanna was technically a little bit superior to Wiley Zhang. I thought she had a little bit more uh, tactical tools in her tool belt. Um, in fact, if you saw Wiley Zhang had to give up, or Zhang Wiley, however you pronounce it, had to give up the spinning attacks, which she does a lot because it was allowing Yoana to retake center constantly. So she actually had to reduce what she was capable of, whereas Yoana was able to like switch stances and then grow into it. So I thought Yoana was the better technical tactician, but I thought that the physicality of what Zhang Wiley was doing was so superior that you know it was popping her head back. So the, the targeting that she was using with her punches to the head and the power difference, you know, kind of really moving Yoana at times, I thought was the difference. So was it as big as people said it was? Yeah, maybe there was a little bit of hyperbole, but I do think it was actually what the difference was when she won the fight. I thought she was the more physical athlete of the two. We've seen that with her in other fights, and I think that played a big role ultimately in her victory. Hey, Luke, I'd like you to hear your thoughts on Dana White's Contender Series being a pseudo-minor league system for the UFC. This idea was briefly discussed by Brendan Shaw, but it's Below the Belt podcast. And I'd be interested in seeing the UFC experiment with a relegation promotion system similar to world football and American baseball rather than putting greener prospects in a situation where one or two fights make or break a situation for them. Yeah, I love the idea. A UFC doesn't want to break up their brands that way. I mean, there is a contender series and then there's UFC. But I mean to say, imagine you had a contender series where it was actually like um, like there were like a real deal thing you could go to. You could pay money to go and see at, an, at a venue. And then on top of it was like a flyweight title fight or you know some other very legitimate fight. Like you had two or three fights. At the top of it were like real deal Holyfield UFC fights. And then that, you know, the people who won there got to go to a non contender series event. And it was labeled like UFC contender series one, UFC contender series, or whatever labeling they wanted to give that was somewhat different than a UFC fight night. You know, they don't want to do that. And there's good reasons to not do that. Although I think it'd be kind of fun if they did. But I like the idea of relegation and promotion, right? You know, uh, maybe you're still good, but you need some time to work it out. You got to get a couple of wins just to get out of that system to get into a UFC show so you know the devil will be in the details and all of that like anything but i actually really like the idea i like it a lot how likely is it for tony khabib to get canceled for a fifth time due to the virus um again i don't want to speak with a great degree of certainty but again my opinion is i don't think there's any way it happens on that date at ufc apex or any other facility for that matter the donks want to know have you been able to locate that latina who had the plump the plump culo who put spit on the gas pump. And when are you bringing her to the Sirius XM radio show? Did y'all see this? On have you seen the shit part of last week's show with Brian Campbell and on Morning Combat? He found some girl who was trying to put, like, she was trying to pump her own gas. She was uh, thick with two C's. She couldn't get, like, the nozzle into the car. So she pulls it out and then spits on it and then, like, rubs it, you know? Um, and, uh,. It was hot, I'm not going to lie. Who do you think would be the next best opponent for Sugar Sean? Ooh. Well, he 
he looked like he was totally overmatching Quinones. Um, let's start him back slow. He's had a couple times. You know, he looked phenomenal, but he's been off for a couple of years. So let's bring it back slow. Let me look at the rankings. He was like in that 11 to 15 range. Um, that would tell us a lot. So you've got Cody Stamen, John Dodson, Song Yadong, Marlon Vera, Hayoni Barcelos. Marlon Vera would be a great fight. Great fight. I kind of like that one a lot. Again, questions about UFC 249. Do you think Mark Madsen has potential to be a top 10 lightweight? I do. I do. Physically strong, has a great transition from Greco, which we knew before from like the Henderson and Linlin guys that they could do that. Couture to an extent as well, right? All those guys were Greco. Um, some had wrestled Greco and freestyle, but really they were, they were known for their advancement in Greco. And you're seeing somebody who was, you know, well, Linlin got a silver medal in the, I think, the Australian Olympics, but almost by, almost by uh, committee. If you guys know the story about that, he actually had to petition for it. It was a long kind of thing. Um, and Mark Madsen was sort of up against a guy who generationally was like the best Greco-Roman wrestler of his era, and he was just always a step behind him. But so what? I mean, you could be a step behind an all-time great and still be a badass yourself, which is what you've got here. Not to denigrate other female athletes, but what, if anything, is specific to women's MMA that makes it so good and seemingly much more enjoyable than other female sports? Well, sort of be careful with your statement there, right? For example... One thing people try to do that it doesn't just work out the way that it should is um, they try to make men and women do the exact same things, which I don't think is the right thing to do. Now, it used to be, when I, when I first started watching MMA, women only fought three-minute rounds, and I think making them five was the right call. So in that sense, having some uniformity across the board is correct. On the other hand, I always look to like gymnastics as a great example of how to do sports across genders correctly. You know, you want to... Like, they don't do the exact same events. They do some things that overlap with one another, but there are some things that they don't do that, that don't overlap. You know, some of the uh, some of the ring routines that the men, uh, male gymnasts do, like the Iron Cross, like that should be something that men with tremendous upper body strength, um, they should focus on that. On the other hand, uh, and I think men do some floor routines as well, but I think um, um, gymnastics has found a way to, to, to an extent have overlap, but have an individualization about what each competitor and each gender is really capable of doing. And what you end up seeing is that while there is some overlap between the events, even then, the women kind of do it their own way, the men kind of do it their own way. And so what you get is a great celebration of what every athlete can do individually. Um, and I think it just is so much smarter and it makes so much more sense. And it just, it, it just, it just looks, you just never think about the differences because there's enough built in where everybody gets to shine. I think the creative opportunities inside MMA, and I think that the smaller gloves as well, gives us a sense of um, what a, what women can do against other women in appropriate contexts. Right? They're allowed their, their their creative abilities, and you know an arm bar. You know what's going to win your arm and it, its joint integrity versus you know a 135 pound woman cranking on her knows what she's doing. She's going to win. So they're able to exact a degree of brutality that they are in the men's game by virtue of some of the science that's applied. I really think one of the reasons that women's boxing is hampered is because of the gloves. I really believe they take away some of those gloves um, or make them much smaller, make them fight in like MMA-sized gloves or like kickboxing six-ouncers where their hands are full covered, but um, they're still very small. I think you might get some different results. MMA was really great about opening up creative opportunities 
and then taking away some of the limits that might lim- you know a, a 115 pound woman is just not going to hit as hard as you know 115 pound man in all likelihood right it's just not really going to happen but if you can make the gloves smaller and give them an opportunity to use a series of weapons where their bodies can do a lot of different things you begin to see that there is a lot of a lot of opportunity in that it's so it's so wide open that um, it really it really allows for a lot of different possibility, whereas a lot of these other sports are very narrow. Um, you know, there's a question about should the, uh, um, you know, actually, I don't know what rim height is in the WNBA. I should sort of be careful about that. But I feel like if sports leagues were willing to adjust, um, you might get a little bit of a better response to women's athletics. The last thing I'd say, though, is it can go the other way, too. I don't like that women only play three sets in tennis. They should play five. I think that's where a lack of uniformity actually hurts the women's game a little bit, even though Serena's been a big star and that kind of thing. Um, I'd like to see more of that. What do you think of Ryan Hall's matchup against Ricardo Lamos? A lot Lamos. Uh, I love it. I love it. Lamos has been in a bit of a rough run. Um, he's a very good fighter. He's sort of at the end of his run, I think, or pretty close to it. Um, but he's still tough. He's still dangerous. He's very athletic. He can wrestle his ass off. He can punch hard. We all know that. And Ryan Hall is going to be the kind of guy who's not going to test, probably in all likelihood, the limits of what he can, of what Lamas can take in terms of a hard punch. But it's going to test some of his other things where he's still pretty good: his base, his grappling defense, his his athletic ability to escape certain situations. And Ryan Hall is going to go up against a guy who's got good ground and pound, who's still strong, who, again, who's got great base. And so it's a really nice test of where both guys are at by putting them in a place where Ryan's got this incredibly unorthodox skill set that's going to be hard for anyone to deal with. He's not had to face someone who's got this kind of a physical threat on top. Um, Ricardo Lamas, certainly not the best he's ever been, but this fight will likely take place in a spot in the game where he's still got a lot left to give. I like it. I like it. I like it a lot. I like it a lot. I think it's a great fight. On Morning Combat this week, at the beginning of the show, you mentioned to Brian that you had turned down an interview with Joanna, which is true, and that you didn't have nice things to say about her. Well, I do as a competitor, just not beyond that. Can you tell us why you turned it down and what your beef is with her? Um, here's the thing, man. You know, look, what she did last weekend, I don't really want to sully that because I thought what she did was magnificent. I thought she was one of the, it's the best female fight I've ever seen. That's up there with some of the best men's fights I've ever seen. She was an absolute savage, and she deserves to be commended for that from now until the rest of eternity, until until life no longer exists on this planet. I will have an unyielding respect for what her and Zhang Weili turned in on that evening. It was awe-inspiring, and I mean this sincerely. It was an absolute honor to watch. But privately, I've had some interactions with her, and there were some obligations that were um, not met. I think it's a very kind and charitable way to put it that... Um, I thought were so unprofessional. It, it is. It was mind-boggling. So, without getting to the details, I can separate the two. I can realize that on a on a professional level, media to fighter, this is not a thing that I wish to keep up any longer, in any capacity whatsoever, uh, in terms of any kind of relationship um, where we talk at all. On the other hand, I can look at what she did and recognize that it was awe-inspiring. Man, it was truly truly awesome and I mean that sincerely I was blown away in fact I thought she won I thought Joanna won that I thought not robbed because it was so close but I thought she deserved to have her hand raised to be perfectly honest with you um and I still do I worry about the rematch sorry I guess I didn't answer previously about what her future is I mean here's the thing about Joanna I don't think folks realize she's got like roughly 30 kickboxing fights right she got some amateur MMA fights 
She buys some amateur kickboxing fights that I'm not aware of. She's got um, 20 or so UFC fights. So she's 50 plus, nearly 60 fights into the game. She's 32, which is not old, but that's I think she'll be 33 in August. So she's heading into a territory where she's a little bit on the older side for that particular division. The better ones generally, not totally, but generally, are in like high 20s or so, something like that. So she's a little bit longer in the tooth, and I think the damage that both of them took um, has potentially career-altering effects. You go back and look at Condit versus Lawler. Folks don't realize this. Carlos Condit hasn't won since then. He has not won a fight since that fight, which he didn't win that one either, although I thought he won that one too. But um, I think the damage of that was so profound, he never won another fight. Uh, And then you look at Robbie Lawler. He's only won one fight since then. Now he got injured in the RDA fight. Okay, fine, but... Um, he only won the Cerrone fight, which is not some small deal, but it's not like both guys have ever picked up since then. Ne- neither of them have. Um, you just don't come back out of that the same. So I'm not suggesting that that will be the case for Ioana, but I think 60 fights in, all the gym wars, all the weight cutting, uh, all the training, the, the sort of the accumulative age, the accumulative damage. I think she's had seven or eight fights that have gone five rounds in MMA. It's worth paying attention to going forward. Is sort of my point on this. It's worth paying attention to. So I have profound respect for her as a competitor, dude. I really do. I was so honored to watch her compete against uh, Zhang Wiley and vice versa. I felt honored to those two women um, for the opportunity just to sit there and marvel at their at their athletic greatness. On a personal level, I want nothing to do with her. Do you think Kevin Lee matches up better against Tony versus Tony Okabib? Um, well, fuck. He missed weight this morning. Jesus Christ, man. I'm going to hold off on rendering a larger judgment about that until I get a chance to talk to him to see what the deal was because I really like Kevin a lot. I think he's often misunderstood. I appreciated his attitude about wanting to get there and keep the fights going. I tend to think a lot of fans will forgive him for this for that reason. But if you're going to stay in the weight class, man, you got to make it. And I realize going to another country and traveling, things will just going to make it hard for you. I get it, especially in the middle of a fucking coronavirus outbreak. It could not have been easy. But either you're going to make the weight or you're not going to make the weight, you know? like. Um, so we'll see how he looks this weekend. Assuming he looks like he picked up where the Gregor Gillespie fight left off. I'll say Tony because we already saw what he could do when he had some energy. Of course, could that last over the course of five rounds? Probably not. Uh, but you're asking who would he match up better against, not who would he win. Probably Tony, but I don't know. I don't know. Tony's the kind of guy where like he could lose a round or two and then just storm back and slice you to pieces in round three or four, you know? So like you might do better against him, but in the end, you still take an L. I don't know. It's a tough one. Uh, what does Joanna go from here with the amount of damage? There you go. She sustained. Do you think retirement is a lot closer than before the fight? I do. I don't mean to say that I think that's in- inevitable for the next like this year or something. I'm not saying that. I know her coach, Mike Brown, was calling for an immediate rematch. I guess we'll have to see. Um, again, just to reiterate it, I'm not declaring to you that, that that was the beating that everything changed in. That's not what I'm saying. But I do think, let's pay attention to it. Let's see how she looks. Let's see how things, she should take a long break after this. Honestly, if she didn't even fight the rest of the year, or at least wait until December, I wouldn't be mad at her. Um she should take a long break. She's earned it. And there's nothing I'll say in defense of Ioana. She got paid 106 k for that fucking fight. Are you shitting me? Like, <laughs> she should be getting 10 or 20 times that, bro. 
wow, I couldn't believe it. I mean, I guess I could believe it, but you know, the could, I couldn't kind of scenario. I couldn't, but I was like, she deserves so much more money than that. And Zhang Wiley got, what, 200K because she won? She deserves the exact same thing, 10 or 20 multiples of that. I, I just, it's criminal. It's not criminal, but it's just so unfortunate that we're in this kind of place where these women can turn in that kind of an effort and they can get paid that little. It just it boggles the mind. Hi, Luke. I was planning to submit two weeks' notice for my current job, my awful job today, until I found out the job that said they were going to ch- hire me changed the job requirements. Do you have any stories, either of you quitting shitty jobs in dramatic fashion or of working somewhere so shitty you couldn't stand it? Yeah, I got fired from Baskin-Robbins um, for harassing customers. <laughs> <laughs> that's true i don't think i've ever told that this i just couldn't take it um so in high school i used to work at chick-fil-a just to make some cash you know and uh you're not a single mom you know you gotta do what you gotta do to get some cash to go take the girls out and uh and i'll never forget what we're all here here we go um and i'll never forget i uh <laughs> so the, i don't know how it works anymore i mean i don't eat chick-fil-a hardly at all anymore there's like one or two in the city or something but they're delicious. There's just not many around. Anyway, um, at the time, they had like a number system and then a letter system, right? And so you could go in and get like, I want a number one or like a number two. I think a number one was like the fried chicken sandwich. Number two was like the baked. And number three was like club. I forget what club. club. Well, maybe four was like supreme or something. I don't remember. And then there were like like a lettered meals like an a was like nuggets with a drink and like waffle fries whatever it was there's two different systems which i admittedly always found confusing but people would come in and be like yeah man i want a uh this was in kennesaw georgia shouts to everyone in kennesaw georgia this was right near the kennesaw uh mall um and <laughs> people would come in and be like hey man let me get the uh let me get the uh number a and then the letter one, and I would just look at him. I would not punch anything in. I'd be super passive aggressive. I'd be just aggressive about it. I would not punch anything in. I'd be like, sir, I don't know what the number A is. Uh, and here's what happened. One time I thought, well, he said number A. He must have meant letter A. But he actually meant number one, right? So I actually got the order wrong, and then I had to eat shit for it. So from that point forward, people come in. I want the, and it happened all the time. I want the, uh, the number A and the, uh, the letter one, and I would just look at him. I'd be like, sir, I don't know what that means. Like, but I would say it like real asshole-like, you know? And then they'd be like, I want the uh, the nuggets. Oh, I'm, oh, you meant the letter. And I'd say, I'd, I'd like enunciate like a complete asshole. I'd be like, oh, you mean the letter A. Is that what you meant, sir? You meant the letter A? <laughs> um, customers complained on occasion. So that was one. I got, I got fired from that job, too. Um, all I just stopped showing up was the reason. Um, <laughs> real professional. I don't, I don't recommend following suit with that, by the way. I mean, these are not things I am proud of. They're just things I did. Baskin-Robbins, I just couldn't stand it because uh, I had just gotten a job bouncing at a place. And uh, this was in college. And uh, I say in high school, I meant college. In any event, Baskin-Robbins, sorry, Chick-fil-A was high school. Baskin-Robbins was college. And I only got it because they were paying, like, I don't know, minimum wage and uh, a, a fraternity brother of mine worked there and it was like you know just a couple of shifts just to get a couple hundred bucks here and there kind of a thing right but I couldn't take it I mean I think I worked five six shifts I, I hated it and uh, and um, there was another sort of ordering convention that people would fuck up and I would just be passive aggressive 
I got warned for that. And then I finally got fired because I had to go to the back for something. And it's a true story. I went back there and just to fuck with my boss who I didn't like and he didn't like me. I opened up the freezer and I go, wow, look at all these roaches in here. And he just looked at me and went like that. And, uh, and uh, he fired me on the spot, actually. So, so those are ones that I didn't particularly care for. I'm sorry about that. I would never do that today. I'd be grateful for any kind of job I got. You know, you learn you'll, civility. I always say this, folks. Civilization and civility, they are learned behaviors. I do not believe that humans are necessarily born with those innately. Certainly, I don't think I was. I was a bit of a feral animal through age 30. And... Uh, I've sort of come around to it since then. The other thing that people would do when they would come into to Chick-fil-A, they'd be like, hey, man, y'all got fish? And I'd be, I, I, would, I never knew how to respond. I'm like, well, first of all, it's called Chick-fil-A, sir, so use your fucking brain. I didn't say that. But I would often be like, well, let's see. And I would slowly read through the menu. I'd be like, let's see, combo number one, chicken sandwich, combo number two, fried chicken sandwich, combo number three, fried club sandwich. And then I would go, okay, well, there was, sir, there was no fish there. Let's... Let's see if we can keep reading, shall we? In other words, being like, you can read the fucking menu for yourself. You know, I don't recommend these things. I don't, I'm not proud of this. It's just a thing I did. So I got fired from that job, too. Those are the only two jobs I've ever been fired from, by the way. Everything else, you know, I quit like a normal, rational adult. Just those two. I, I did not handle optimally. Sorry about that to everyone I worked with. I apologize. Uh, all right, so if you paid for something, <clears throat> we'll get to it now. Let's do that. God, there's one of these I can't see. Sorry. So the first one I can see is, who do you favor in Whitaker versus Till if they both fight? How did they uh, change in their last outings? Um, well, we're going to see, like, again, it's like, did Whitaker take too much damage? It appears that way. Jury's still out, if you ask me. But it's going to be an interesting one because Till likes to corner and then um, lead a little bit. And then Whitaker likes to lead but then, you know, dart in and out and likes to create a lot of movement. So it'll be interesting to see can Till corner Whitaker or can Whitaker use enough space and trickery to create the uh, opportunities that he needs. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be really interesting to see. King Artem writes, it's donk time. Yes, it is. Uh, Edwin asks, any tips on working from home? Yes. I've been working from home for a long time. Oh, God, there are so many bots in the chat. I don't know what to do about it. Um, hang on. Let's just try this. Doot, 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 doot. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Get some of these going. Um, tips when working from home. Number one, never work from your bedroom. God damn it. Hang on. All right, I should help a little bit. Uh, never work from your bedroom. If you live, even in, if you live in a, um, if you live in a, uh, uh, like if you live in New York City and don't even have walls, your bedroom's just part of your living room then what I really recommend is like finding a coffee shop or an open space. That's going to be a little bit harder today. At a bare minimum, don't work from your bed. If you've got other rooms and it feels like, well, what's going to be the difference between working from my bed or my bedroom and then working um, you know, in your living room or your kitchen countertop or something, you have to treat your bedroom as the place where all the work goes away. And over time, that will make a really key and critical difference. Number two, this is going to sound silly, but it's really true, um, 
you can dress how you want, I think, being comfortable. Shower. You will laugh at this. If you work from home, you will see days will go by sometimes. You're going to say, oh, that would never do that. Well, when I worked in an office, it would never happen. But then when I started working from home, you just will open the computer in your bed sometimes, and you'll just go all day, and then you realize, Jesus Christ, it's 8 o'clock at night. I haven't eaten dinner. haven't done anything. I haven't talked to anybody. You haven't created any kind of routine. Um you should create a routine. If if walking outside, uh, so 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 like getting up, showering in the morning, brushing your teeth. I think sometimes putting on not work clothes, but like, you know, if you ha- if imagine you had to walk outside all of a sudden to go run an errand, would you be in the clothes that you would want to go run the errand, or are you still wearing kind of like you know sweatpants and stuff? Which again, you can I, everyone all of us run errands in sweatpants, but you kind of know what I mean. Like putting on a degree of going through a bit of a change in the morning about where you work and how you look will kind of set the tone a little bit with some of this stuff. I think taking a lunch break is important and unplugging. Um, I think that, again, to the extent you can go outside and work, I think is also kind of important. Um, If you can, and this is, you know, coronavirus dependent, but you're giving me usual best practices for working, I think once a week, if you have other coworkers in your town, and that will not apply to everybody, but if you've got... um, co-workers in your town, then um, once a week you should meet up with them. Once a week you should meet up with them and then all work together. Again, coronavirus situations depending. Um, what else? What else? Um, those are some good ones to try for the time being. Is the fight... That puts Is this the fight that puts Oliveira in elite status? Well, not exactly because he's still outside the top ten. So I think you have to win this one and maybe another one, but but it's close. If you had a metal baseball bat in an open field, how many ten year old ten year olds in bike helmets could you take out before they got you? I don't know. I feel like a lot, right? Ten year olds. Hmm. Well, gotta say at least half a dozen, right? What philosophical books had a strong impact on your thinking? Is there any philosophical work you believe everybody should have read? I was a big believer, and I was a not believer. I was I was dramatically changed by the work of David Hume, and his work on inductive and then deductive reasoning. They had a profound impact on me. I talked about it before. Um, Kuhn's uh, on the nature of scientific revolutions was a big one. Anything related to the leaders of and the scientific underpinnings. Uh, philosophy of science really changed my view on what counts as evidence, what doesn't, um, how we should view the world, how we should evaluate claims. That really had a dramatic impact. And I did not, I did not take philosophy of science really ever thinking that that would be a thing. You know, philosophy and science, how would they even correlate? You know, I had a buddy of mine, my senior year, he was my, he's now a radiologist. He was a pre-med student. He went to med school eventually. Um, but my senior year roommate in my fraternity, he would always be like, because, you know, he was always in the books, you know. Um, and uh, I was too, but, you know, biology students have so much to memorize and so many things to, like, remember. And and he would make fun of me because I had a book by Descartes that, he, that I was reading. And he goes, hey, Luke, are you reading that book or is the book reading you? Right, sort of mocking the nature of philosophical inquiry. I think a lot of people think that's what it is, and of course, some of it is. I one time had to answer the claim about is water can water be defined as the watery things of our acquaintance, and I was like, that seems that seems circular. But uh, 
yes, there are some games like that that are a little bit silly. But philosophy of science, I found to be anything but dramatic, dramatic impact on my on my thinking. Um, with JJ versus Zhang being so damn close, how do we judge the significance of significant strikes when both women match each other in multiple rounds? It's a great question. The one thing I would think we're up against is if you have a high volume or a low volume, but a high volume count in this case, you have high volume count, you have, um, you know, uh, different targeting. So Joanna went mostly to the body and to the legs, went to the head too, but mostly to the body and to the legs. It was different for Zhang. Zhang went to the head and to the legs, didn't really go to the body, but she targeted the head more of the two, and that created the visual thing along with maybe a headbutt as well. But the point being is um, if you have a similar count and someone is targeting, targeting the body and the legs more than someone else is targeting, oh, Jesus, fuck. Bots are out of control, bro. They are out of control. Uh, let's see. All right. There we go. Okay. Um, so, if you target the head more, I just tend to think that that lends itself better to getting the judges to go your way, whether or not it should. And I was having a back and forth with Justin Buckles, who's a great coach. Really like Justin a lot. And he was like, well, everyone kind of feels that way. But my point about it is it's like, dude, of course, no one wants to be punched in the face. I think intuitively we would all be like, well, I'll punch somewhere else in the body and I'll just kind of absorb it. But the reality about like leg kicking, like you saw, for example, in the Adesanya and Romero fight, is you're targeting the one same spot over and over and over again, which you know sometimes that's not necessarily the case with how you might be able to land on the head. And also, it just is not true that every punch to the head is automatically worse than um, here. Um, is just automatically worse about uh, um, any leg kick. I can imagine that in general it might be worse, but not every time. So the answer is really hard to say. For those of us who train, how, sh how long should we avoid our gyms for? It's impossible to say, but when do you think it would be safe to resume training? I do not know. I do not know. Look for guidance on this from, I don't know, maybe what you could do is get together with some friends who you really trust and who really think, again, this would be, t you're always taking risks here, but if you really felt like for them and their particular case, they work from home, they don't really go out, they just train, they don't do anything else, and you felt safe with them, that might be an option you can explore. I don't even know if that's good advice. I would really double check this with any kind of epidemiologist who has something to say about it. Um, but I'm not going to the gym anymore. I have barbells, at, uh, dumbbells at home. I've got some kettlebells. I'm just going to work with that until the time being. I don't know what else to do. Was King Mo one of the few that made interviews enjoyable, for instance, when he went off on Bjorn? Yeah, but that wasn't even an interview. That was just him going crazy at a press conference. Yeah, I always liked King Mo. King Mo and I got off on the wrong foot, but then we quickly repaired it, and we had a – I have great, great respect for King Mo. I think his you know, his career was badly damaged by that staph infection that nearly killed him. But um, he did a lot of great things in the sport, and I really respect him, and I'm glad to see he's having uh, – it seems like he's enjoying his retirement. Uh, let's see. If a fighter trains for one specific fighter for an extended period of time, does he have an advantage when they actually meet up? Connor using this extra time for training close to Beep. Yeah, it actually happened for Matt Serra when he was supposed to fight GSP. Then it got delayed, and then they had the whole other rounds of sparring, and he looked really good. Yes, that's certainly possible. In the other cases, it could mean nothing. It really depends on how the training goes, what kind of training. So there can be situations where doubling up on a camp really is important, 
and there can be situations where uh, it doesn't do you any good uh, whatsoever. So just keep that in mind. All right. How do you feel about switching stances? Eugene Behrman and many old school boxing trainers say that fighting from one stance is more defensively responsible. Should it be limiting to shifting attacks a la Triple G or Volkanovski? Right, but you'll notice that Adesanya does it with total freedom. He's right. Most people can switch. This is not even Eugene's view. I think this is the general view in striking because it's true. A lot of people are really good at switching stances and then still more or less having the same kind of offense. Like, they're pretty good at it. Might differ a little bit in how they exact it, but the offense is very good from Southpaw. The offense is very good from Orthodox. Fair enough. On the other hand, um, one of the other problems that you end up seeing is that the defense isn't nearly as good from both stances. Now, Max Holloway, to me, is an example where he is ambidextrous, essentially, from those stances, but he is the exception that proves the rule. I think, in general... Limiting stance switching through shifting, through angle changing, through combinations, um, through distance closing like Poirier likes to do a little bit. That's going to be better for most, but the truly gifted like an Adesanya and the truly gifted like a Holloway are going to be able to do that a little bit more nimbly. How can you say the coronavirus is unprecedented when the swine flu infected 1.2 billion and killed 150k. First of all, I don't know where you got these numbers from. Second of all, the, one of the things that people always bring up, different presidents, so you forgot. What, you guys think I'm a fan of Obama? <laughs> Are you kidding? Uh, you know, he, he is part of the reason that we're in some of this mess. Uh, you will not hear me say very many nice things about him. Um, but in any event, uh, part of these numbers, which you, I, I mostly believe you're probably making up, um, swine flu didn't spread nearly as much in as much of a rapid fashion, resulting in these kinds of uh, dramatic outbreaks as you see. You didn't see any kind of um, issues related to this uh, with Italy or other foreign nations on this level and this kind of scale. It's because the containment policies were better because it wasn't nearly as contagious. Second of all, even though it wasn't nearly as contagious as coronavirus, you're talking about a time threshold over which it went on for months and months and months and months and months. Um, because it had a, a sort of a slower but steadier spread. So you had a much greater time horizon for whatever problems resulted. If you would like to keep arguing that coronavirus is just like everything else, you are not in touch with what any world epidemiological organization is saying about this particular threat. You can lie to yourself if you want, and you can lie to your friends and your neighbors if you want, but you cannot lie to the world. I suppose you can do that too, but it won't do you any good. The, 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 the evidence on this is very clear. The exponential outbreak like this of a global pandemic in my lifetime is unprecedented. It is unprecedented. It just is not the same. Are you not going to cover the Brazil event in protest? Uh, well, I mean, cover it in what sense? Like, am I going to talk about it on Monday? I mean, I kind of have to. Was Disneyland closing out here? Uh, with Disneyland closing out here, a lot of us employees are still going to get paid for not having to come in, but overnight workers like me Still have to come in and work. I, I thought Disneyland was – is that changing? I thought they were going to keep that open. Um, that's interesting. I don't know. What's your Spanish nickname other than gringo? I've been called Gringozilla and Gringuito. That's it. I, I'm sure, or whatever they call me behind my back. I don't know. <laughs> There's probably something there, right? Um, screw YouTube demonetizing vids. I got you, Luke, for $50 donation. Thank you from Altitude Exotics. I appreciate that. 
Uh, it hurts me to admit, but you are right. Story of my career. UFC 249 needs to be delayed. Also, why does the weather heating up slow down the virus? I have heard, um, I have heard inconsistent reports about this. Um, for example, there can be cases um, like when it's hot in certain parts of the world, uh, it can be cold in others, and then you can have different viral strains that don't really um, have the same effect. So in other words, it gets cold here, viral strains go up, and then it gets hot here, and then they go down, right? Like the sort of the seasonal flu. Um, I have heard that there could be a number of different reasons for that, merely from population density and getting together and then not, not being the case, being one, but also... It's not true that um, it doesn't take place in hot weather. It'll just you'll have different viral strains in different parts of the world take off when they're hot versus when they're when we're cold or vice versa. So the idea that like universally viral outbreaks go down whenever it's hot that tends to be true here. That's not true globally. <coughs> uh oh, Corona. MJ dropped thirty eight versus the Jazz. You also recover like the flu. Don't know what that means. You're talking about the the MJ flu game. Haven't the reports come out later that he was really just uh, hungover? With 12,000 dead from the flu so far and only about 30 dead from the coronavirus, then why is no one talking more about the flu virus? Sort of lots of reasons. Again, the time horizon for the flu, again, I don't know where you get these 12,000 from, but the time horizon for the flu will go on for, for long stretches of time and with virtually no containment policy. Number two, there's also a bit of a vaccine that the flu has in terms of um, how we're able to address it. There is none, certainly deployable by any kind of modern governments um, for that I'm aware of for the coronavirus. So the coronavirus is just getting started. Right? Let's, let's, let's add up the tallies when this is all done. Again, um, you guys can think it's media hysteria. It's, 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 not, it's, again, individual instances aside, which I'm sure there is some. The real criticism of media in this particular regard is not that they did not, is that they overhyped it, is that they didn't do enough early on. It is quite the opposite. You can you can accuse them of failings. I'm fine with that. Just make sure you get the right ones um, listed. Top three, five books. People ask me this. I don't know the answer. Um, which books have had like, the most profound effect on me? Anarchy, State, and Utopia by Robert Nozick was a huge one. That one really had a profound effect. Um... Thus spoke Zarathustra. Nietzsche was a big one. Um, God, what's some other ones that I'm trying to think now? Uh, you know what? I got a, I got a great book to recommend you, Donks. Hang on. Where did I put it? Where did I put it? Where did I put it? Hang on. Here we go. Here's a book for all you donks right now. Let me make sure I can see myself so I get this right. I have to go soon because I have to do an interview. Here we go. Guns, Germs, and Steel by Jared Diamond. Now, if you're Patrick Wyman, this is all things you already know already. But for a lot of people, this is a book. How do I explain this essentially? Um, things that have shaped human society in great detail um, have been centered around the invention of the firearm, the manufacturing of steel, and then the spread of pandemics through germs and a variety of other conditions as well. Um, this is a great, great book to read, to understand not merely the current state that we're in, although even for that, it wouldn't all be, it's not, it's not an epidemiological book per se, 
but instead about the things that have had a historical way in shaping society and sort of, in a certain sense, how they all come full circle. Guns, Germs, and Steel by Jared Diamond. Here's a great, here's a, you guys want something to read if you're going to be indoors? Highest recommendation. Guns, Germs, and Steel by Jared Diamond. Okay? This is a great, great book to read. I'll do a couple more. i got to get through these very quickly. If I, if I don't get to it, then what I'll do is I'll come back and make a separate video. Uh, I manage an MMA gym in SoCal. Less about the virus itself, but worries about the hysteria. It's not hysteria. Well, there's some hysteria. People going to Trader Joe's and buying all the pretzels is hysteria. But preparing for the worst, but would not survive closing for months. I know I feel you, brother. I don't know what to tell you. I hope, hope it doesn't come to that. Um... All right, here's a crazy person who we just won't we just won't deal with. Uh, let's see, harass. Okay, okay, very good. Dun, 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 dun. Uh, this flu was created by the deep state. You mean the deep state that he drained to destroy Trump's presidency? <laughs> Stop with your liberal BS ideas and stick to fights. Oh, how I wish I could, amigo. Oh, how I wish I could. How crippling could a long-term coronavirus outbreak be to DAZN? Surely the bigger networks could make it through okay. I don't, I, I don't know how DAZN would be impacted. Get some canned food and non-perishables. Yeah, I got a bunch. They should have Tony Khabib in a Mortal Kombat stage surrounded by lava. That'd be the shit. Most veterans I've talked to have said that Full Metal Jacket is the more real, most realistic war movie they've ever seen. As a veteran yourself, do you agree? It's up there. Um, uh, I don't know if I put it as the most. It's certainly up there. Oof, i got to get through these fast. What do you think of the Mikey versus Herberth matchup? Yeah, uh, Herberth is a beast, but he's sort of hot and cold. If he's not on his P's and Q's, Mikey will beat him. But otherwise, Mikey is too small. Musumechi. You mentioned years back the promotional malpractice version of this chat. Uh, you believed life was fundamentally about suffering and managing it. Do you feel the same now since you've had a daughter? Sure. Uh, at least you weren't working at the Chuck E. Cheese's next door. God God bless it. Get some chat mods. You want to be a chat mod? Email me, LukeThomasNews at gmail.com. What's on your coffee mug? This is the uh, Cub Swanson official coffee mug, Killer Cub. He makes his own coffee, which is, if you like the chocolatier notes in coffee, it's really good. In the UK, the Football Association just suspended all elite football matches until April 3rd. Yesterday, UK government said large events uh, are okay. That will change. If UFC 249 stays as is with all sports being postponed, do you think it could shatter some pay-per-view numbers? Yes. Do you think cheaper pay-per-views would result in a decline of pirating and more eyes on the sport? In certain cases in boxing, where they want to go above and beyond what they're supposed to? Yes. Uh, what about the Zhang Wiley jumping over Valentina Shevchenko? I don't really care about that. I stopped training jiu-jitsu because of COVID-19. I also have friends and family dealing with racism because of this whole thing. I can believe it. Just keep doing your living your life, man. Do you think the world will once again go into a recession? I think a recession is probably inevitable. We were almost headed for one before all of this. Bigger challenge for Cejudo, Jan or Sterling? I've had coaches tell me Sterling is. I, my feeling is Jan is, but I take Sterling very seriously. Casual fight fan here, and I love it. Your show is just engaging to diehards as it is to casuals. Well, I appreciate that, Danny, and I appreciate the donation as well. I'm sorry if I have to rush this. I got an interview I have to do in five minutes. Thank you guys so much for watching. Thumbs up. Subscribe to the channel. Stay safe. Uh, see you all next time. Oh, and of course, stay frosty.